This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Good morning, I'm Simone Zaziaris. And I'm Kate Watson. It's Friday the 27th of August. In your Squiz today, National Cabinet's to-do list, terror attacks around Kabul airport, the Super Nepal grand final, and come on Steelers. This is your Squiz today. It's Friday, Kate, which means National Cabinet. That, of course, is the meeting of state and territory leaders and the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. There's a lot on the meeting's agenda today, starting with an update from the Doherty Institute. So what the Doherty Institute does is give an estimate, taking in a variety of factors as to what point enough people will be protected from getting sick or dying from COVID-19 that it won't pose too great a burden on our health system. It's the model used for our national vaccination target of 70 to 80%. So given our state and territory leaders don't necessarily see eye to eye on whether COVID could be managed and lockdowns used sparingly once vaccination rates reach that level, an update from them will be closely watched today. Also on the agenda today, Simone, is vaccine passports. So that's the document that might be used by fully jabbed Australians so they can get out and do things like eat at restaurants, go to bars, go to sporting matches, so on. It's something that's already been used overseas. It is, and it's also something New South Wales is already heading towards. Yesterday, Premier Gladys Berejiklian announced some freedoms for fully vaxxed people from next month. Finally, Kate, there's the topic of vaccinating children over 12. Yeah, so we're talking about 12 to 15-year-olds. It's been a hot topic in recent weeks as the number of children getting COVID has gone up. The federal government has already flagged they would open up eligibility for Pfizer to that age group in the coming weeks. So the discussion at National Cabinet is really about making a plan for how that can happen. Yeah, the government has been waiting on final advice from the expert panel on vaccines, ATAGI. That's also expected to happen today. Looking overseas now, Kate, to the situation in Afghanistan, where overnight dozens of people have been killed and others injured in explosions outside Kabul airport. And this comes off the back of advice issued by the US, the UK and Australia for people looking to get out of Afghanistan not to travel to the airport as the risk of a terror attack was considered to be high. Now it's happened and what the reporting this morning tells us is that there were two explosions. There have been upwards of 60 deaths. That includes at least 12 US soldiers. Of course, Joe Biden is already facing a lot of criticism for the way the withdrawal of American troops has been done. So there'll be lots of fallout that's already started from this. As for who was responsible for the attack, we don't know for sure yet, but reporting out of the US is suggesting it wasn't the Taliban, but rather an affiliate of Islamic State. Of course, Simone, there have been large crowds of people gathering daily at the airport, all with hopes of fleeing the country since the Taliban took control. A lot of talk about whether this will hinder that evacuation effort at this stage. Both the US and UK have said they intend to continue. For Australia's part, no word on that yet, but a tweet last night from the Australian Joint Operations Command said all Australians there assisting with those evacuation efforts are safe. As far as the evacuation efforts concerned, as it stands, the US and its allies have evacuated about 96,000 people. For Australia's part, yesterday our government said Australia had evacuated 4,000 people, most of those Afghan citizens with visas to come here. 
back home and we talked about National Cabinet meeting. Someone who will be watching closely is Qantas boss Alan Joyce. Yesterday, the airline announced a $1.73 billion loss for the last financial year. But Joyce wasn't dwelling on it, Kate. Rather, he's looking forward. That's right. He talked about their plan to resume international flights by the end of the year. 21st of December is the date he's set. It hinges on a fair bit, though. First of all, that we get to 80% of the population vaccinated. And that's because our trade and tourism minister, Dan Tingen, has said that that's the vaccination rate that would allow travel bubbles to be set up with other countries. Also, a thing is that returning travellers will need to be able to quarantine at home. That's something that's being trialled in South Australia and it's supported by the federal government. But then, of course, Alan Joyce has the states to contend with on that front. Ultimately, it is their decision. He also talked a bit about domestic travel, saying he hoped state premiers would stick to the National Cabinet Agreement and lift borders when that 80% was hit. He said it would be a terrible shame if people in New South Wales could visit London at Christmas, but they couldn't travel to Perth. Yeah, that said, Qantas is planning for that reality. It says Darwin could be a transit point for its non-stop flights to London instead of Perth. As for its planned international flights, the airline says it's looking to resume travel to countries like Singapore, the US, Japan, the UK and New Zealand. Kate, I mentioned last week that the Super Netball would likely be on the podcast this week. That's because the grand final is this weekend. The two teams going head to head are the Giants and the Swifts, both from New South Wales. Yeah, 2.30pm, Channel 9, that's on on Saturday. Both teams have made the Super Netball final before, but the Swifts are the only ones to come through victorious. So lots riding on this for the Giants. We were talking about who was the favourite in our work group chat yesterday, Simone. It's really hard to call. Giants were the minor pre but the Swifts beat them in the semi-finals, so they're both in form. Both teams have had the same disruptions to their season due to COVID, and neither teams will have a home advantage because it's being played in Brisbane. So the only place to look is the bookies, and they're tipping the Giants. You mentioned that semi-final, Kate. It's worth mentioning the Swifts won by only one goal. So if it's anything like that game, it'll be exciting. Each day of the Paralympics, Kate, will be featuring a sport, an athlete or event to keep an eye out for. And today it's the wheelchair rugby. And the reason we've picked wheelchair rugby today is because the Steelers, that's our Aussie team, will be the focus of a lot of action over the coming days. The Steelers are already back-to-back gold medal winners, so they're trying for a third gold in a row. They're heroes of the Aussie Paralympic team. They actually lost their first pool match, though, so they had an early hiccup, but they did beat France last night. It was a nail-biter, Simone, 50-48. to They play Japan this afternoon, which they also need to win to ensure safe passage to the semi-finals. Yeah, fingers crossed for our Steelers. And if you're a bit unsure about how the game is played, it uses a volleyball and it's played on a basketball court, but you score tries. So it's a mix of a lot of different sports and it's known for being pretty brutal with some big clashes and collisions. Its nickname after all is Murderball. Squeeze the day, Kate. To finish up, it's a bit of fun. It's International Rock, Paper, Scissors Day. It is. And I had a quick look at the website. It's a very ancient game, actually. On that website, it outlines the exact statistics for how often each thing is played. So rock is apparently the most common, then paper, then scissors. Women are most likely to throw scissors and men throw rocks more often. So I'm not sure how scientific that is, but it's a good tip for your next scissors, paper, rock match nonetheless. Yeah, next time we're 
somewhere in the office, Kate. We'll have to put that theory to test, I reckon. <laughs> Looking ahead, Sunday is also the anniversary of the founding of Netflix. It started out as an online DVD rental business in California in 1997. It's certainly come a long way since then. Before we wrap up, Kate, each week we have a segment in our Squiz Today email called Friday Lights. There's usually a good recipe or some handy recommendations. This week, all the talk at Squiz headquarters has been the newsreader. Yeah, the newsreader. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm getting lots of messages from friends and family about it. So it's on the list. It's an ABC drama. It's set in the 1980s in a newsroom. Yeah, it's got plenty of drama, romance and office politics. I've loved it. There's only two episodes out so far, but they drop on a Sunday night at 8.30pm. So that's something to look out for. That's all from us today. Have a great weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday. message now from our podcast partner, BHP. The steel made from iron ore plays an important role in providing the production of our energy infrastructure, from wind turbines to power poles. So cutting carbon emissions in iron ore production is key. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power its port facilities at Port Headland. It's happening now at BHP.